Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, relationships, and money. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. I'm your host, Talia. And today I'm super excited because my guest is Linda Bloom. So I reached out to Linda to be a guest speaker on the Let Love Begin Summit earlier this year. And my conversation with her and her lovely husband, Charlie, was one of my favorites. So Linda, I love the work you're doing. I think it's so important. Uh, Relationships, in my opinion, are really the most important thing. And I think the quality of our life is reflected in the quality of our relationships. So Linda is just approaching the 53-year mark of marriage with her husband. And I have absolutely zero doubt there is a lot we can learn from her years of professional and personal experience. Welcome, Linda. Thanks so much for being here. I'm delighted to be back with you again. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love talking to you. I feel like we just totally click every time we speak. Can you tell me, you're just telling me, can you tell us a little bit about you being in your marriage? So when, when did this start? And like, obviously it's still going, which is amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we were college students in Boston in the 60s. It was a hotbed of political demonstrations. We were sitting in and we were marching and Charlie and I were both politically oriented. And so we had a strong connection from the very first day that we met. And this was 1968. We're talking bell-bottom pants and love, you know, <laughs> love children and all of that. And it was a very exciting time to be in college with all these young people in all the universities. And we really had the intention of changing the world. We thought we could do it. And I will say that that idealism and enthusiasm from the early years that we were together has sustained us over time, that we made commitments to live lives of service. And although we're different in a lot of ways, we have this overlap where we have dedicated our life to service and particularly personal growth. And the area of personal growth that is our bag is about loving partnerships and romantic partnerships. Mm-hmm. Wow. We love that here at Rebel Love. So, so this is a perfect uh, conversation to be having. <laughs> so I wanted to ask, I know this is quite a personal question, but I guess uh, you've already kind of answered it already, but how, you know, I, I, first of all, are you still in love with each other? And how did you keep your, li- your love alive for so long? Well, I love the question. And yes, indeed, we were very much in love. And that breaks some people's ideas about how it becomes a companionate marriage over time. That right. you have the, the wild infatuation in the beginning and the falling in love and discovery, and then it's downhill from there. And we're not believers in that. We believe that if you are keeping yourself on your own growing edge, if you're learning, if you're reading, if you're open to life, that you're keeping your passion and enthusiasm alive, then you're bringing your happy, enthusiastic self to your partner over the decades. And we know many long-term couples who have bowed to this early on, and they're still, like us, very much in love. I'm crazy about him if he was here. He would say, you know, he's keen on me too. (laughs) And it hasn't always been the case. There was a time when we went through some very deep darkness and it looked like we weren't going to make it. 
but we kept doing our own work and keeping our attention on ourselves most of the time. Sometimes we were blamey and victimy. But when we kept our attention on ourselves, we could see that this was um, growth waiting to happen. This separation that we had to go through because he was working for a company that put him on the road and I missed him terribly. And we had small children at the time. And so it left me in the role of a single mom. And we had taken holy vows with each other. We were going to bring our kids up in common. We were going to mutually support each other's careers. And when that vow got broken, I just went into despair. So it put me in a very dark place for a while. And I thought, whoa, we have really grown apart. I don't know if I'm going to be able to have a lifetime partnership with this man. Fortunately, he resigned from that corporation just in time before I ran out of fuel. Mm -hmm. And we learned so much during that dark time about how to make the small amount of time that we had together really count, how to contain some of my anger and blame, and to be forgiving at a level I had never known before, to be accepting and tolerant in a level I'd never known before. And I had been committed before, but I had to reach down and find commitment I didn't even know I had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like when you, as you're saying that, it just always keeps coming back to me. The, um, the hardest deal goes through the hottest fire. And um, yeah. And I just think that, you know, those trials, everyone has these trials, right? And I feel like, I don't know what the statistics are, but I know that, you know, divorce rates are high and that people these days, they don't fight for their relationship. So to have, you know, say, say you're going to do something and then actually follow through with it when it gets really hard is, you know, a true test of both of your characters and all, and all of this journey of learning that you guys have done. So can you speak a little bit about what you actually do for work? Because um, I feel like that may have played into the success of your relationship and kind of like practicing what you preach. So how do you help people today? We're both therapists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do individual and couple consulting. And we're seminar leaders. And usually when we teach, we teach together, not 100% of the time. Charlie has a course that he teaches called the Program for Integral Living, and he loves teaching by himself because he can do everything his way. (laughs) But when we teach together, we have to collaborate. And I'm much more form and structure, you know, and he is free form. And so he has to accommodate to me, and I have to let go a lot of my scripts about what I want to cover in the course to go off on tangents with his freeform way, but we've come to really respect each other's style. And we pull a lot on our own personal experience when we teach, so it's very alive. The students tend to trust us because they know that we've been to some really dark places. Yeah. We know the territory and we know when, you know, you want to bang them over the head and (laughs) by the roots and you know, they, that we know about that kind of rage, that love can be just a thought away, and how to hold the tension of those two opposites. And so in our teaching, when we write our blogs, when we write our books, when we do our counseling, we do bring the personal in, because that's where we learn a lot of what we know about what makes relationship thrive in an optimal level, because we've lived it, we didn't learn it from a book. Totally. And I think that creates trust as well with your, you know, I always find that if, you know, if you're going through something that's really hard, yeah, gravitating to talking to someone who has been through it before you is always, you know, even if they're unqualified, 
if they've been through it, they've lived the experience, right? And you know, I just think that I mean, I definitely want to learn from people who are have walked the walked the walk before me, not somebody who hasn't. So, so I and just like you know, I just think, wow, fifty three years of marriage and to still be in love and to still you know adore each other is such a, an incredible accomplishment. And um, I feel like it shouldn't be as hard as it seems to be, but you know, um, it just I just don't hear it very often. Like I can count probably on one hand the number of couples I've met who have been married for more than twenty years and still say they're really really in love with each other. And maybe I just haven't met that many. <laughs> but when I do meet them, you know, it's, we went it's looking for. Them. Sorry, we went looking for them. Yeah, right. Oh, and okay. The book. This a collection of the happiest couples that we could find. Oh my gosh. I want to speak to all those couples. <laughs> yeah, and it's called Secrets of Great Marriages, Real Truths from Real Couples About Lasting Love. Oh, I Part love of that. the reason that we wrote it is because we heard from a lot of people, I don't know any happy couples, or I don't know very many happy couples, or I don't even think there are any happy couples. Right. And I wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm a happy couple and I know some. And I'm really sure that this is possible. So I wanted to counter that despair that people have. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of resignation and hopelessness. And so we let the couples, we interviewed more than 50 of them, and we let them tell us in their own words their secrets to success. I love that. all different but they're, they're themes that run through all of their stories. Yeah. I was just about to ask you that. You read my mind. Can you tell us a few of the themes, like the main kind of top themes that came out of that? Strong in commitment, strong in intentionality, highly responsible, mm-hmm. hungry learners, lifelong learners, yeah. resilience, courageous. They bring up the tough subjects. Mm-hmm. They don't, sweep it under the rug. They don't, you know, dance around the edges. They tend to reveal their inner experience rather than conceal and express rather than repress. So they don't have a mountain of incompletions that's, you know, drawing off their their energy. And they make their relationship a very high priority. One of the couples that we interviewed are Larry Dossie and his wife Barbara. Between the two of them, I think they've written over 40 books. I've lost track of how many books they've written. And they travel all over the world as speakers. They have big careers. But, you know, every single summer, they go into the Rocky Mountains on horseback, and they camp there for a month. Wow. No phones? No phones. Oh, my gosh. They take relationship for a month, and they plan their whole year, and they really catch up with each other because they know that they're going to have these big lives when they come down off of the mountain. That was a profound teaching to me Mm -hmm. about taking good care of your relationship, no matter how many other things you have going on in your life. There's another couple in there really touched me too. Most of the couples let us use their real names, but there were just a few who asked us to disguise them. So we changed their names and some of the identifying factors about them. This is a rabbi and his wife. In the book, we disguise them. So it says they have 12 children, but they really have 13. And we interviewed them (laughs) in person. And when Charlie and I left that house, we both looked at each other and we said, we will never, ever say that we don't have enough time to devote to our relationship. Right. 
people have 13 kids and they take time to take good care of their relationship. We, we have no excuse. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> they, they were a good example of no, no matter what's going on in your life, you make your romantic <clears throat> partnership and the thriving and well-being of your romantic partnership a very high priority. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know when I'm listening to you speak, I feel like that's, that's basically the key. Like as long as you make it a high, the highest priority, then, you know, you'll do anything to make it work. Right. So it's kind of like, okay. And I feel like if both partners are doing that, then it, it can't fail because you're both all in, you're both present, you're both ready. You're both going to go through that fire to get to wherever it is that you want to go. You know, I think when you're not sure, then it's harder. It gives it a really strong chance for success but you know a lot of couples don't do that no they don't put work first yeah or themselves first and not the other person or they put the children first or they put their spiritual practice first so if they want to put other things as a higher priority where we put our time and attention tends to thrive and where we don't put our time and attention tends to be failure to thrive. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, the one-liners, you know, our, our first book, 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married, mm-hmm. who comes first, the marriage or the children, that was the most controversial chapter in the whole book. I bet. I bet you would have got a lot of pushback. <laughs> we got so much pushback about that. Yeah. I, I certainly I don't mean to be irresponsible with your children or you neglect your children. Yes. But your children grow up and they go on on their own and they have lives of their own and you're left with your partner. And if you haven't been taking care of your romantic partnership, you might wake up after the, your empty nesters and look at each other and say, who are you? I don't know you. I don't know if I like you. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? What people um, interpret that as if I put my partner first, it means I'm neglecting my children. And it's interesting because the way I see it is, I don't know that I'd necessarily put my partner first, but I definitely put them on the same level. And so I'd be like, okay, looking after my partner in that relationship is just as important as looking after my children because hopefully they're the parent, the other parent of the children. So it's like, if we can keep that family unit together, there's nothing more important than that in, in my, you know, where, how I feel anyway. So you know, it is interesting that, you know, kind of like when you celebrate somebody else's success, you're not detracting from your own success. You're just that's celebrating right. that win. And I think that, you know, I think that's a really important distinction to make because, yeah, people get really defensive about it. And yeah, it, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating to, it's to watch. It's an incredible gift to our kids. Yes, I agree. Give them a model of a working partnership, of working out differences well, respectfully, Yep. talking things over, not using manipulative tactics and control and, you know, who's going to get their way, that you stay in dialogue until you find our way, something you can both get behind. And uh, I'd go so far as to say most of the people who come to us over the decades, in a lot of decades we've been doing the work, don't feel that they had good models in their family of origin. Yeah. So I think it's a beautiful gift that we give our kids. It doesn't ensure that they're going to have easy time of it. They've got their own path too, but at least they've got a good start. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I totally, totally agree. And, um, you know, also as well to see affection in the house, like, you know, you know, just to see parents that are, um, yeah, affectionate with each other in front of the child. I mean, obviously in, a, in an appropriate way, 
but um, you know, I just think that, you know, that loving energy in the house and I don't, I don't know, I just, I, I totally agree. It's just so important. And, and, and it kind of, it kind of surprises me that so many people in, that I've seen don't take it as seriously as it, it really is. Cause that, like you said, that role model just is, is such a huge thing. Um, because, you know, children learn from observing, children learn from parroting their parents. And if, you know, if the, exa- the good example is not there, then unfortunately things do tend to not go the way that uh, they might have had they had that, you know, strong role model. So you, you said we, we had a bit of a chat before this and you said that your relationship has a lot of ease. How do you think you got to this place? And you also said you're not hotheads anymore. And how do you think you got through that? Piggybacking well, the questions. There are not infinite amount of issues that need to be worked out. And once you learn how to work them out, that's a good thing because you don't have to say the same old, same old, keep coming up again. We had a huge issue that kept showing its ugly face to us over and over and over again because I'm a real connection person. I'm relational. I'm an extrovert. I want to talk everything through. (laughs) I don't even know what I'm thinking and feeling until I hear myself say it. (laughs) And my husband is pretty extremely introverted. And where he goes when he's stressed he goes inside and he wants to be by himself and meditate and think it through and journal. And when he and I would have tension or differences and he would go off by himself, that used to flare up my abandonment stuff. Old, old, ancient wounds from childhood. And when I would go knocking on his door, and be insistent that we have to talk about this, and we have to talk about this now, that would activate his control stuff, his you know, angst from his childhood about not feeling like he could ever have any privacy, not feeling you know, that his boundaries were respected. And we kept clashing over the same things. We did this, it's embarrassing to admit, but we did it for years. And let me tell you something. We were both therapists. <laughs> we were still doing it. Yeah, we were still doing it. And we could diagnose each other, do you know? And he, he could call me a flaming codependent, and I could call him <laughs> counterdependent. And what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And we, could, we were just more sophisticated after we were therapists about how we could make the other person wrong. We learned a lot about respecting the differences. And I learned not to take it so personally that he needed to take so much time to himself. I didn't even understand about how much solitude introverts need to thrive. And it took a while for me to trust that he did love and adore me. And when he was with me and he really showed up, when he was free, not demanded of him, He gave his heart in a very wholesome way. And when I could feel filled up, I could let him go. Go do what you want to do. Take as many hours as you want. Take a few days. I'm I'm the guardian of his solitude now because I know how much he needs it. And I encourage him to go off on a few days of meditation retreat every month. He doesn't even take as much as I feel like I would like him to. But he had to understand me, that I'm a connection person. I like a lot of eye contact and I like a lot of kissy face and I, I like a lot of touch being held in words of affirmation. You know, all the five love languages. Yeah. I love them all. 
Yeah. <laughs> my husband says, I love you. I say, give me the details. <laughs> I, love that. I, want all, I want all the specifics. And so when he can come and connect to me and really show up, and it is a meaningful connection because I have the urge to merge, and then I feel satisfied, I can let him go, and he can take the solitude that he really needs. Mm-hmm. And we've come to call that the dance of love and freedom. We come close and we connect. And then we let go and we're our own unique individual selves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're not graceful in the early years doing that dance. We were right. clumsy <laughs> and sometimes I wanted to kick them in the shins. <laughs> <laughs> so I am, um, yeah, what, what I'm hearing you say is that like, because I, I can definitely identify to that experience of being, as I, I would consider myself to be more like you, connection, extroverted. And I had a partner that was very introverted and it was actually an amazing partnership. But, you know, I think that what helped with him wanting to go and have his space, and it sounds similar to yours, is that you felt safe. You got to a place where you're like, I actually feel safe knowing the reason why you're going away and, and I don't need to control it. Like, I, I'm, I feel like I trust you. I feel safe now that I've learned, because it, it sounds like you did a lot of work on yourself too, to get to that place. Like, yes. I've, I've worked on myself now. I know what the function of that behavior is. So, and now I feel safe when we've talked it through. <laughs> And then, yeah, so, and, I, and, and I've been in the opposite position where I've been with partners where I didn't feel safe. And so that feeling of letting go just wasn't as uh, easily done, I guess. You're right. The safety is key. And even in the psychological literature, the words that they use to describe this phenomenon are pathological. The early people who spoke about it, James Framo, called it the pursuer and the distancer. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a negative connotation. And more recently, they talk about anxious attachment, you know, and avoidant attachment. Right. But it still has the darkness in it. Mm-hmm. So I don't use those terms. Right. I call the people who are on our end of the spectrum, we're the connectors, and the ones that are on my husband's end of the spectrum, they're the freedom fighters. So it has like an uplifting, upbeat vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And nobody's wrong. Just I love different. them. Yeah, Just I love different. that. Totally, totally. Yeah, that, I think that's really, um, that's a really, again, again, something really that's really stuck out to me is it, it, I feel like so many people get so caught up in like, oh, I'm right and you're wrong. But it's like, okay, so at the end of the day, when all the right and wrong's done, like, really, who cares? Like, you know, I feel like, yeah, a seminar I did and they, they, we had this exercise where they were talked about giving up being right. And, and it's really, and I'll tell you what, it's really hard to give up being right when you know you're right. You're like, I'm a hundred percent know I'm right. But at the end of the day, it's like, it doesn't matter. Just give it up. And then when you can give it up, it's like, wow, there's so much power in that because the battle is with yourself, not with somebody else. You're absolutely right. And a lot of fights that people have, it's because there's a war going on inside. So the intra-conflict, mm-hmm. intrapersonal conflict manifests itself as an interpersonal conflict between the two people. When you stop power struggling so much and insisting that you're right and you're making them wrong and you've got to see it my way, there's room, there's spaciousness, there's curiosity and wonder. Mm-hmm. about how is it that you experience it this way? How is it that you believe this way? 
how is it with your history and your beliefs and your life goals? I want to understand you. I might not agree with you, but I'm interested to understand you. And that's lush. Do you know that's fertile ground? Mm -hmm. That's a growth orientation when two people can get over themselves enough to want to understand the other person that deeply. Totally. That's what keeps love alive over the decades. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the curiosity, like noticing those small things and yeah, and really kind of still staying in that place of wonder. Yeah. I I feel like the relationships are so complex. And in my experience, when the best relationships I've had are when I'm consciously aware of my role in the relationship and how I can show up like in a way that supports the growth of the relationship rather than hinders it. And sometimes, you know, you know, I always say this, your your best is always changing. Sometimes you just not, you just can't, you're not in a place where you can do that. And so for me, it's like recognizing where I'm at and what I can do in that moment. And if sometimes that's stepping away, so I don't mess something up, then sometimes that's the best choice. You know, I don't know. I, um, yeah, this, this is really interesting hearing all of your experience. So you talk about um, differences and learning to understand each other and how that learning to respect differences. But what did you learn from learning to respect differences and what steps did you take to get to that place? It's been a fascinating journey. And I am a believer in opposites attract. When we teach our seminars, we're more apt to say compliments attract. And you know, in my field, not everybody believes that. Some people think that you're compatible with people who have interests in common and values in common. And of course, that's helpful. But we have found, and I admit we have a skewed sample because most of the couples who come to our workshops and come to us for counseling are troubled. But we've come to understand that some very deep, wise, natural knowing in us, where the drive for mastery resides, tends to find other people who are very different from us attractive because there's some sensing and intuitive knowing that they're strong and developed in areas we're not. They have signature strengths we don't have, and we have signature strengths they don't have, and that causes magnetism at the beginning. Of course, when you leave the infatuation stage, the same things that were so dazzling in the beginning can start to drive you crazy. But if you can get over the disillusionment stage and you show up in the commitment stage, you can see, oh, I am not, I'm talking about myself now in the early part of a relationship. I'm not that comfortable being with myself. I don't even understand what it's like to enjoy being with yourself. I'm afraid to be with myself. I'm going to have all these inner critic attacks I'm going to have to listen to. And Charlie, being so accomplished, and he's a self-contained system. In being with himself, he can meditate for hours at a time. He helped me to be by myself, not lonely, alone, but not lonely. What revolutionary thought to me, who's a flaming extrovert, wants to be in connection with people so much of the time. I am very much in touch with my feelings always have been, have trouble understanding how people can't be in touch with their feelings, but I've met so many people who are not (laughs) or who feel them, but don't have the facility to to articulate it, or they're somehow bashful to talk about their deep inner life. 
fears, insecurities, sadness, loneliness. And if Charlie were here, he would tell you that I was always strong in that area, feeling ease about expressing myself. And he has gratitude to me. Something deep in his soul knew that I could teach him about being more comfortable revealing his inner life. He's still very discerning about he'll he'll do that with. But it's a wider group than it was when I first met him. Yeah. So I believe that some wise part of ourselves knows and brings people into our life. Friendships the same. Not just romantic partnerships who have signature strengths we don't have. And it is that drive for mastery where, where we can do this exchange and learn from each other that really helps us to become more whole and self-actualize. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. The best friends teach you the most through their behavior. I love that. I love learning from my friends and being like, wow, I really admire that about you. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's really going back to that kind of childhood thing where you'd see something and you'd mimic it. And then, you know, even, even in adulthood, you're like, oh, I really like that. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start doing that. I am. Um, I don't know. I, I had a friend who she was going through this um, particular stage and she was like, I'm practicing this thing called conscious eating. And so every time before she got her food, she would stop and she'd take a breath and she'd look at her food and she'd be grateful. She'd give gratitude for her food, give thanks. And then she would eat it in a very conscious way. And she didn't want to talk to anyone. She wanted to be very conscious about each thing that came into her mouth, how much she chewed her food, if she was, you know, all of these steps of this. And I just was like, wow, I love, I just thought that, isn't that a great practice for like all of life, kind of slowing down to speed up. And um, I don't know, I just re- really remember, there's just moments of these friendships that have these profound lessons. And, and I think we live in such a fast paced world. Sometimes it's so easy to get caught up and forget to notice. And it kind of is, it's interesting to me that so many people, you know, like you said, after they get out of the honeymoon phase, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't find that cute anymore, but, it, but don't question why. It's like, okay, what, what, what is it triggering inside of me? Because something's happening because I used to find this really, you know, obviously the chemicals in your brain are different when you first meet someone, it's all exciting. And then it becomes not so exciting after a while. But how, so how do we like, um, how do we turn those things around? So like maybe something that would be like that we did love before that's totally irking us now. How can we approach that with it? an attitude of curiosity. Mm -hmm. So when you were talking about your friend doing the mindfulness meditation while she was eating, and if we can expand that to other parts of our life, we often talk about the work that we do as offering people a frame of relationship as spiritual practice, that the whole of it is a mindfulness practice. And if we feel resistance to whatever it is, to investigate that. What is it that is going on in me such that I am repulsed by that? What is it that I haven't accepted in myself? We sometimes call the shadow work because to the degree that we're not okay with some aspects of ourselves, we're going to project that out. We're going to judge that in other people. We're going to judge that in our partner. And if we can use our partner as the magic mirror, we can learn so much about ourselves. We can see there's almost no world out there. It's all projection on a screen. Right. It's all about in the eyes of the beholder. And so we can look through dark glasses and find the flaws. 
and dwell on the flaws and talk ourselves into we deserve better than this and I got the wrong partner and we're a mismatch and I need to get the hell out of here. Or we can say, what is it in me that I am so reactive to this? Mm -hmm. Not that there's not a grain of truth in it. There may be. But our mind may be taking that grain of truth and blowing it out of proportion. So it is a demanding, challenging practice to keep all those projections coming back home and see what is it about me and what is it that my mind is making up about this, the narrative that I'm brainwashing myself with and what's really true to drop down into a deeper level of wisdom and understanding. I love that. This ties in perfectly to something else you said when we um, were having a conversation about this podcast. You talked about generational, um, what do we call it? Generations of hurt, anger, and behavioral patterns. Can you expand on that? Because I feel like a lot of this projection, you know, like I said, we learn a lot of stuff when we're kids and our parents learn from their kids. And it's not all good things that we're passing on, you know? No, some very dysfunctional patterns are being handed down. Mm -hmm. Some bullying, controlling, manipulative patterns get handed down some denial, conflict-phobic patterns get down, handed down, uh, deal-making, relationship is business. If you don't give me this, I won't give you that. You know, a little small, petty. And a lot of it goes in on an unconscious basis when we're really young. And it takes a fair amount of work and consciousness to see what of our family of origin in their modeling is useful to us and make the discernment about the things that are not serving me. Maybe they even served that couple, but they're not right for us. Maybe it was good for that time, but it's not good for us. And I sometimes invite people to be willing to be guilty of the sin about doing their family. You know, in some ways you have to be disloyal to your lineage to make different choices in the way you bring up your children and the way you conduct your relationship. Maybe they had a relationship where they were glommed on to each other and they thought that was real love. And what works better for your relationship is to have more space in your togetherness. Or maybe their relationship was so spacious and distant that they never even really shared their innermost life with each other. And they were psychic strangers for 50 years. And that you don't want to have a kind of a relationship where there's not that bond of deeply knowing one person in this world who knows me so deeply, knows everything about me, knows my greatest, wildest dreams and knows my deepest insecurities and my magnificent failures. That's such a privilege and an honor to have somebody know you at that level and still love you. Man, that's it in the jackpot. But a lot of our families, they didn't model that. They didn't know if they had known they would have given us more. We have to be forgiving and, and understanding about parents are always doing the best they can with kids, but not to just follow in their footsteps lockstep, that we need to evaluate and co-create with our partner what we want our marriage and our family life to look like. And it may not even resemble too much either one of the families of origin. And that's okay. This is our life, and we need to make the choices that fit for us. Mm-hmm. I love that. Oh my gosh, I feel like this is a perfect um, wrapping up. So I have one more question for you. Um, 
if you had to give someone what, what, like, what's a, what's your biggest piece of advice that you give to a couple that's like on the, on the brink of separation? Because I know that you said that you became, you came very close and, um, and I really want to know, like, how did you come back from that? What was, what really helped you come back from that? Not every marriage deserves to be saved. Not every relationship deserves to be saved. Sometimes there's been too much damage done, and it is the kindest thing for self and other to let go. There are also, there are really some mismatched pairs. Yeah, there are not as many mismatched pairs as separate and divorce, but there really are some. Some people pair up before they're, where they're young or they're not developed enough to know who they really are and who would be an optimal partner for them. And so they make a choice before they really are ready. But a lot of us, even if we made a choice when we were young, think that we may be mismatched. But there are some barriers that need to be dealt with. Sometimes it's not making room for the irreconcilable difference which every couple has. The happiest couples have some areas where they never really homogenize. Do you know, they have to just make room for those places where they don't see eye to eye. And as long as the greater part of their relationship is working for them and they have a lot of other things going for them, there's room for the part that doesn't really work. John Gottman is a researcher that I really admire. He says the proportion has to be 5-1. You have to have five parts good, and you can have the one part that doesn't work for you, and the five parts good are going to overshadow that. It still can be a fine relationship. And I invite people to tell them. I tell every couple who comes to me in trouble, you have to make it one of the options to choose that you will separate and divorce, maybe even have to break up a family, even if the kids are small. That needs to be an option that you consider. But give it a few months and give it your best shot. Make your last-ditch effort. Keep your attention off of the other person because they've been busy blaming the other person and holding them responsible for why the relationship is in trouble. And just keep your attention on yourself. Do your own work. Totally responsible. Draw your boundaries clearly. Speak your feelings, especially your tender ones your fears, your pain. See if you can skip the anger and the blame and the judgment. That's been getting you on the road to hell. See if you can open and your vulnerability may invite their vulnerability. There may be connections and understandings that you haven't had for a long time. If you do your own work and you are responsible and you are letting your defenses down, and you're doing your absolute best, and after a period of months, you feel that you are not met, the answer will present itself to you. You won't have to force it. It will be a what so. But often, if you keep your attention on yourself and you do your own work, the breakdown can become a breakthrough rather than a breakup. And I tell them, don't take my word for it. You do your own work and you find out from your own experience. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think that's really, really good advice. I I, I really do feel like it's the answer to everything. You just have to do your own work. You have to show up for yourself. Thank you so much for being here today. I 
Uh, as always, I just love having, love having these conversations with you. And um, where can people go to find out more if they want to find out about you and Charlie or get in touch? Our website is Bloomwork, B-L-O-O-M-W-O-R-K, singular, okay. bloomwork.com. If they sign up, they'll get a newsletter once a month, which is a booster shot of inspiration. <laughs> they'll have an opportunity for three free eBooks, one on conflict management, one on sex, and one on the 10 most important things we've learned since we've got married. And they will see where we're going to teach. We're teaching virtually through Kripalu. We've got a couple courses, one in September, one in October and November. And we do intensives and we do them virtually through Zoom. So people can spend a whole day with us or even two days with us and we do a course and individualize just for their particular needs. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll definitely put all of the details for the website in the show notes. So you can go to rebellove.com slash Linda Bloom. Thank you again so much for being here. It's been a pleasure. Well, I enjoy being with you. I had a great time and I love your questions. They're juicy. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I'm aiming to do. Juicy questions. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad they are. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. YouTube. Thanks for listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love, sex, relationships, and money. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. And find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast.